Thank you, Joe. That is a joy to be with you this morning. As Joe said, I do have five sons, not children, five sons, and um, they're all grown, actually. My youngest is 17, my oldest is 33. I have three grandchildren, and I've been in ministry for about 29 years. I came to Redeeming Grace from a sister church that we used to work with, and I knew the pastors there. I don't know if you know Vince and Mark Mullery, and uh, we had the joy of meeting Joe and Etta there. And I also have met your senior pastor at RTS before, and he used to attend our church many years ago. And um, it's great to be with this morning. He's actually speaking at Redeeming Grace this morning and bringing the word there. And uh, I just was really, I just want you to know, I was really edified by worshiping God with you. I, that just singing about Jesus, my heart was just lifted, focused, and uh, I could go home right now and I'd just be satisfied. <laughs> Uh, it was just really a precious time of worship, and I enjoyed that, being with God's people. Would you just pray with me that God will do his work through his word this morning? Heavenly Father, we know that uh, from the, the liturgy this morning, from the word that we've already read, from the scripture text that Joe just read, that you have a heart for lost people. You're the king, and you have a heart for lost people. Lord, we pray that as we talk this morning, you'd help us to grow to be more like you, to have the same heart you have for people who don't know you. And may we be your ambassadors, your children, who live our lives on this earth to make you known while we're here until we come to be with you forever. And we commit our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to just uh, ask a simple question this morning as we begin. And it's, it, you know, I don't know uh, how long you've all been believers. I've been a believer now for over 40 years, and I grew up in a non-Christian home in New York City. I went to a high school where there were no Christians. I mean, you were either Catholic or Jewish, and um, that's it. I really didn't know any Christians, like just people who believe the Bible and just believe the gospel. I just didn't, I didn't even understand what the gospel was. I thought it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we had a form of religion, but we really didn't have a faith. And, I, and I, if I look back at my high school, and there's not one person I know from my high school that's saved. So I got saved in my freshman year of college. And um, I, it just was an amazing thing, and I'll tell you more a little bit later. But since that time, I've had a burden for people who don't know Christ, because until someone shared the gospel with me, I just didn't know. And I want to ask you a question this morning. How do we main, maintain our commitment to sharing the good news with people as we age, as we have children, as we get married, we have grandchildren, as we have busy lives, we have our jobs, we have our community groups and all the things we do in church? How do we maintain a passion and a commitment to reaching the lost? Uh, it's it's not, not easy, and uh, sharing our faith can often bring feelings of fear. One Christian leader said this, Christians and non-Christians have one thing in common. They both fear evangelism. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that way. Sometimes we can feel like sharing our faith, particularly today, it's hard. It's difficult because we live in an increasingly, a culture that is increasingly hostile to biblical Christianity. Let's be honest. We have a rapidly changing culture. And to bear witness, uh, as Randy Newman, who's a campus crusade, used to be a campus crusade worker, he's with the uh, C.S. Lewis Institute now, he, he's a great teacher of evangelism. His book, Questioning Evangelism, is one of the best books available on the subject. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to get it. But he said, 
70 years ago, we could make basic assumptions of what people knew about Jesus Christ and we could share the gospel with them with some anticipation that they would have a knowledge of scripture of some kind and of who God is. But increasingly today, people are biblically illiterate. They think of Christianity as absolutely irrelevant. Uh, There are many anti-Christian narratives being thrown around. I mean, how could a book that was written starting 2,000 years ago, how could that be, by a bunch of dead guys from the Middle East, how could that be relevant for today? How could it be the Word of God? They didn't think it was the Word of God, really. Have you heard that one? I mean, there's a lot of, it's certainly not in, it's not in tune with the rapidly changing morals of our culture. It's narrow. You mean you tell me Jesus is the only way? No, that can't be. That's so narrow-minded. You know, or, or the, 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 the culture, you know, that has a, that has, it's very clear about morality. There's a right and a wrong here. It's just not up to date with common culture, with modern culture. And um, besides that, just sharing our faith can be hard work. And how do we actually begin conversations? How do we open our lives up to our friends and families and co-workers in this busy culture of Northern Virginia that we live in. And COVID-19 only makes this more difficult, doesn't it? I mean, how do we, how do we maintain a gospel orientation and sharing the gospel when we're in a global pandemic? It's hard. And everything I say this morning, I'm just going to say that this statement covers everything I say this morning. It's hard. Okay, especially in a global pandemic. There's, and I can't give you all the answers, but I know that God's heart has not changed for lost people in Northern Virginia, in Manassas and Centerville and all the Fairfax County. And uh, so our text today is um, really designed to help us stay motivated to lovingly share the good news in a busy anti-Christian culture. It's going to help us know what God's heart is. It's about Jesus eating with people who don't know God, who don't have a faith, who are not walking with Jesus. And the religious leaders, he sits down, he has meals with these people, and the religious leaders complain about him. They say negative things about him, these Pharisees and scribes. And, um, and Jesus tells these three parables. We're going to only cover the first two, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. But he tells three stories to reveal God's heart for lost people so that we will know how God thinks about the lost. And really what he's revealing is God's plan is to, what's been in the liturgy this morning, is to seek and save lost people. He desires that all people will be saved and come to a knowledge of him. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people because God, our God, is a seeking God. He is a seeking God. And brothers and sisters, our God seeks lost people. So, he wants our heart to be like him as we walk with him over the years, as we talk to him, as we get on our knees and pray to him, as we live with him, as we put Jesus at the center of our lives. He wants to give us his heart. It's not, this is not a thing, an add-on in our life. He wants to give us his heart. So when we see people, we, we feel a desire for them to know Jesus at the center of their lives because we love him more than anything else in the world. And if we love people, we're going to want them to know this Jesus, right? So look at our context here in Luke 15. If you have your Bibles, if you can open there, we're going to move around a little bit. If you have it, or if you have your phone or whatever you use reading your Bible on, the context here is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And in Luke 9, Jesus, it says he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. Okay, that was, that was exciting. 
<laughs> if, you, if you're watching on, online, welcome to you as well. That, we just had a big loud bang here and it was sudden and scary, but okay, now that I have your attention. <laughs> um, Jesus, this means Jesus knew he was headed to the cross, right? He knew that he was headed to the cross and he's teaching along the way. And, and look at Luke 14, verse 35. The last, the, literally the last sentence before our, our verse here, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's proclaiming good news. And then look at the next verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Tax collectors and sinners, when they heard Jesus' invitation, actually came and listened to him. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? He says, if you have ears to hear, listen. He's proclaiming it, and they're drawing near to him. And, and uh, who are these people? Well, the tax collectors, you probably are familiar with them if you've been in church for a while. They're the people, who, the Jewish people who were connected with the Roman Empire. They were, they were living for the almighty dollar. They collected money on behalf of the Roman occupiers, and they made a lot of money doing it. They were not well-liked or well-respected, and uh, so they were, they were really despised. And the sinners, they're people just like people in our culture today who, who are not believers. They just live for whatever they live for, right? They, they're not religious. They don't try to be religious. They just live for pleasure. They live for whatever they want to live for, whatever idols are in their lives. They're just living. They're just people. But... That they were being drawn to Jesus in verse 2. And you see in, in verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees begin to grumble and they say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. They're complaining. They're making a complaint against Jesus. And these scribes and Pharisees, they're religious people. They, they believed in the Old Testament law and that in order to be right with God, you had to go try to obey that law. And not only that law, they made lots of other laws that you had to obey and you had to earn your way to God. You had to actually be good enough to be with God. And teachers couldn't teach tax collectors and sinners. They couldn't even teach them. And more than that, it was worse to even associate with them. They believed they had to clean themselves up. So Jesus was now, he's saying, this one eats with sinners and he receives them. This is a very serious charge. And um, Jesus had faced these criticisms before. In Luke 5, they said he eats with tax collectors and sinners when he was calling Matthew. And Jesus at that time said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And then in, in, right, in verse three, notice what he says. In response to these complaints against Jesus, he tells these stories. So it says in verse three, so he told them this parable. What man among you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So the sheep, the implication is the one is so important to the shepherd that he leaves the 99 other sheep. It's so significant to him that he leaves the other 99 in the care of other shepherds. They would shepherd together. He doesn't leave one, all the 99 and not care about them. He leaves those in the care of the other shepherds and he goes after it. And look at the intensity that he goes after it with. It says, until he finds it. Verse four, until he finds it. He seeks and then look how he responds. He throws that sheep. It probably weighed up to 100 pounds on his shoulders. He rejoices. He's dancing and he takes it home. And it says there, when he gets home, he calls his friends and this is a command, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. In the second parable, we see something very similar. This woman has 10 coins. They're not very valuable. We know from the Greek that it's a drachma. It's about one day's wage. It's not very significant, but it's really important to this woman. 
That's the point of the story. She cares that she's lost this coin. And so she does whatever she cleans out. That's, think if you probably, you probably get a sense of this when you lose your wallet, right? Or your, your phone. If you ever lost your wallet, you like search the chairs, you go to the, every closet, you're looking in every coat you have, and you go under the seat in the car. You're, that's what this lady's doing. She's cleaning everything out. She's sweeping everything. She's looking for the coin. It's so valuable to her. She does not stop until verse 8, until she finds it. She searches until she finds it. And then we'll look at verse 9. Rejoice with me. She calls her friends together, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And then another statement like the one earlier. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Similar to what Jesus had said earlier, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who have no need to repent. Now, before I go on to our points, I just want to make a brief statement about what, when he says when no sinners who don't need to repent. He's not saying there are people who don't need to repent. He said he came to bring good news to those sinners, not to the righteous. He's just making a point to the Pharisees as he's sharing with them. And, uh, but let's think about why is Jesus telling these stories? The shepherd and the woman throwing parties after they find a sheep and a coin. Think about that for a second. These are fairly tri- trivial things, but they're things that they care about, they value. And because they mean a lot to them, they celebrate with those they love. And this is our first point here this morning. Our God pursues lost people, and we can too. Our God pursues lost people, and we can too. The shepherd and the woman search for lost things. It's a picture of God's heart for people. That's the point of these stories. If a shepherd will go to this much effort to recover a sheep, if a woman will go to this much effort to recover a coin, how much more effort will God go to to recover a lost person? You know, the incredible thing, if you think about it, if you step back from the story, as Jesus tells this story, you think about who's telling the story. It's Jesus himself. In a few chapters, in Luke 19, he's going to tell tell us, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's coming to tell and to save. He's heading to Jerusalem where he will be put on trial. He'll be mocked. He'll be condemned. He'll be beaten. He will be crucified. He will die. And then on the third day, he'll rise again. He's the one sent by the Father. And when he completed that task, he didn't remain in the grave, but he came to rise and then sends his Holy Spirit so it can be poured out on his people in a new way. And that's how the gospel goes forth. Ezekiel 34, that scripture that was read earlier, is similar to the one in Isaiah 53, where it says, we all like sheep have turned astray, everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ was saving lost people. And, you know, what happens is when we respond to the gospel, God begins a lifelong renovation process in us where as we seek to grow in our knowledge of our love for him, as we seek to obey him and live for him and encourage others to do the same, we make disciples, we go out and share the gospel with lost people, our hearts are being changed and we become his ambassadors, literally the body of Christ on the earth. We are representatives of him. 
And the good shepherd left the 99 to pursue the one. That's the heart of God. We see Jesus living this out. And now God is inviting us to pray for lost people, to think about them. Think of all that God did to initiate the saving plan. Just think about that in history. And scripture's so clear. This is God's plan. We were re- heard about it from Brian this morning from the, first third, from the third chapter of Genesis. And now he has called us. And in Luke 11, you know, we need the Holy Spirit, obviously. Luke 11, Jesus tells us, if you then are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So do we need the Holy Spirit? We certainly do. So I'm, before I get to the practicals here, I want to just pray. I want to pray for you. I know you started a few years ago to reach Manassas, but let's just pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you as a church with the heart of God. Just briefly, I want to pray for you right now because I, just, I feel this, the Lord wants to give us all, Christians, a heart for the lost in this time. Lord, I pray for New City Fellowship. Lord, I pray for every person here and every person who's watching online. Lord, we're in a global pandemic. We don't know how to live out the faith in the way we used to. We have to find new ways to do this. We have to find new ways to share the gospel and reach lost people. Help us, oh God. We humble ourselves before you and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us and empower us. In Jesus' name, amen. And this leads to our second point. Jesus wants to know that this is a really, really big deal. And he does this by showing us a glimpse into the heart of heaven, because this is number two. Our God rejoices when sinners are saved, and we can too. He says there's literally joy in heaven. There's a party in heaven when people get saved. And um, the angels, and what's, what's he going on here? He's making an earthly, heavenly parallel here. The shepherd and, and his neighbors, the lady and her neighbors are rejoicing because they found something on earth. And he is saying that there's joy in heaven when sinners repent. But why? It's because God's eternal plan has come to the earth. The plan that he planned in eternity has now come to the earth and it's being worked out in Jesus Christ. And this is a huge deal. This is really, really significant to God. You know, we can be distracted by our lives and get caught up in temporal things, but eternity is broken into time. Paul, in writing to Titus, says, the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. This is an eternal plan of salvation. It's being worked out on earth. It was Genesis 3. God told Abraham, from you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And the redeeming, the plan of redemption through the Old Testament has been worked out, and now Christ is here. And now he wants to reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. He wants to reach old people and young people. He wants to reach people who are from a high economic background and a low economic background. He wants to reach every nation on the earth, every neighborhood. And we're a part of that plan. It's really, really significant. And let me just stop for a second. If you're here this morning, and if you are a believer, and I'm not assuming in a gathering this large that everyone's a believer, but if you're here this morning and you're a believer, think back, how did you come to faith in Christ? You didn't just discover him on your own, did you? Somebody was faithful to share the gospel with you. For some, it's parents. For me, it was an aunt who lived in Florida who I mocked for many years. Because growing up in New York City, we look down on born-again Christians. I mean, they're the dumbest people on the earth, aren't they? I mean, that's where we thought. 
We thought that, is, and I mocked her. I would, she'd share the gospel with me. And I remember I was a junior in high school. I'd stayed at her house in Fort Lauderdale and she gathered me around to pray with her and we'd gone down there to party, you know? And, uh, and I remember she held our hands and started praying and I just kept my eyes open. I didn't participate at all. That's, my heart was hard. Well, it was a few years later, she had the joy of leading me to the Lord. So praise God for her faithfulness. I, but I was not interested in God. I was not seeking after God. How did you come to Christ? It wasn't because you're smart. It wasn't because you're wise. Because God shows his love for us, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, I remember I got saved in my freshman year of college. I'd gone away to school in, in Chicago and um, I, I joined a church kind of like this. It was uh, young people uh, starting a new church. The guys had gone to Trinity Seminary. And um, I was there, and I graduated from school. And, and I was, uh, it was the, right after my, my graduation, and I was on a fall retreat with the church, and I was at lunch, and I was eating with one of the non-staff elders. His name was Jim Bowker. A beautiful family. He was an old guy. He was about 35, you know? <laughs> and um, so I liked being with old people then, you know, because I was young. And... Um, so I'm there, and it's got a beautiful little two-year-old daughter. And my family's going through a messy, messy divorce. And I was just hurting. And they were just loving on me. And I, was, I just was touched by them. And I noticed Jim was eating like, he was eating rabbit food. He was eating celery and carrots. And, and I said, why, are you, why, are you, why don't you eat? This is good food. Why don't you eat stuff? He said, well, my dad died when he was 39. And it's a genetic thing. It's a heart condition. And I'm just trying to be a good steward of my life. And he was a very successful guy and godly guy. Well, within about a few weeks from that retreat, Jim ran into the presence of the Lord. He was running. He died of a massive heart attack instantly, 35 years old. And I remember that was the first funeral I'd ever gone to as a Christian, the first time I'd ever known anybody who died. And I just didn't understand why God would do that? Why would he take Jim? And then I, I started to process it with my friends and we talked about it. But I remember leaving the funeral and I just said to my friends, guys, this is serious. We act like it's not serious. We're all gonna end up that way. I mean, you're 22, you can't think of it like, because I'm so young, I can't think. But it's like, this is serious stuff. And funerals are deadly serious and funerals of unbelievers are not Fun, they're excruciating, especially when we know and love them. We have the good news of Jesus Christ to share. So brothers and sisters, let's publish the good news faithfully. Let's, let's ask God for heart for people who don't know him. Let's, let's testify. God's rejoicing in heaven is Jesus' answer to the Pharisees. These these stories show how eating with sinners is part of God's plan. Eating with people who don't know Jesus. This is part of God's plan for us. It's in the text. It's in the Bible. The shepherd left the 99 to find the one. The woman spared no effort to find the coin. Brothers and sisters, if we want to rejoice in people coming to know Jesus, we must actually pursue genuine relationships with people who surround us, who have not come to know Christ. If we want to be a part of people coming to repentance and faith. We've got to eat meals and share our lives and with the people in our communities, the coworkers, our, 
our neighbors. I, I was at a, a conference a couple of years ago with Rico Tice. He's the guy who wrote Christianity Explored. And he said something that was, he, he provoked me. I, it, I, I didn't agree with it. I just didn't understand it at first. He said, you're the most important person in your neighborhood. And I thought, that's very arrogant. And he said, because God's put you there for a reason. Do you know your neighbors who don't know Christ? Are you ready to share the good news with them? So that's, that was wonderful, wonderful encouragement. And I, I actually was listening to a Gospel Coalition podcast with him recently, and he, he, gave, me, he gave me this three-step thing that I think is great. It's just very simple. If you want to be effective in reaching unbelievers, number one, have friendships, right? And then number one, celebrate them. So like just get to know them, learn about them, celebrate the good things in their life, celebrate who they are, celebrate the grace, the common grace of God in their lives, celebrate them, befriend, real friendships. And then number two, serve. You're a Christian, serve them like a Christian, <laughs> just like you would each other, you know, make meals and, and sell, rejoice with them and celebrate with them in their joys and weep with them in their sorrows and, and make meals for them when they're sick and all those kind of wonderful things that we do in the Christian community that is not common in the world. And then this third thing, which is probably the most challenging thing, break the sound barrier. Breaking the sound barrier means opening up the issue of the gospel. It, means, it doesn't mean that you have to share the whole gospel in one sitting, but it means that you let people know you're a Christian and that your faith in Jesus and your relationship to Jesus is very important to you. You get what I'm saying there? It's breaking the sound barrier, just opening up the reality of what's most important to you. It can be, you know, it can be simple. It's like when someone says, what did you do this weekend? You could say, well, I went to church and I heard a good message. And he said, what is it on? Well, and share something about the message on Sunday. Or you know, when you're at work, what did you do last night? Well, I was at a small group. Why do you go to small groups? Isn't that a lot of time? And we read the Bible. Why is that good? Well, it's just actually very helpful. <laughs> it means some point in your relationship, letting people know that you're different. And you're different not because you're better, but you're different because Jesus Christ has been kind to you and opened your eyes to the need of the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's, the, that's what we just want to live our lives testifying to how great Jesus is. Not in an abnormal way, not in a weird way. Actually, the more we know Jesus and the more we become like him, I think I've seen this in Christians as they age. If they follow Jesus hard, they become softer. They get broken by life. You know, you just, you go through things that are hard, that are difficult. And, and you know, it's, you, you just know how much bigger God is, and really, you're not that important, but he, you're still important, but you're important because God loves you, and he poured his spirit into you, and, and you have a relationship with him, and it's just an amazing thing. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. I shared this message a couple of weeks ago at Redeeming Grace, and we were coming into the holiday season, and it's, we're now past it, obviously, but it's, it's often a good time to share the gospel because you know, you're here in joy to the world. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. It's so easy to just say to someone, well, what do you think of that song? I mean, think about that. Think of those words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. So what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? Why do you think he came? And just listen. That's how we begin to talk to our friends. Just listen to them. We don't, we don't have to pound anything over their heads. We just get a conversation going, break the sound barrier. Uh, there's a great, and, and, that, and, and one of the things that I've heard Rico Tice and others who really are very into sharing the gospel and equipping churches to share the gospel 
is nowadays, because the church, society is so biblically illiterate, we have to invite people to actually read the Bible with us before they'll even come to church sometimes. And so there's a great book. I want to recommend it to you. If you would like to learn how to read the Bible with someone who's not a believer, maybe you've already gotten it by David Helm. He's a, uh, the director of the Charles Simeon Trust. And, and it's called One to One. It's cheap. It's like seven bucks. And, and that, that, you get it on Amazon, One to One by David Helm. It will teach you how you can sit down with a believer and disciple them or an unbeliever and share the gospel with them. And it's like 70, 80 pages. It'll teach you to read your Bible better. It's, it's really an outstanding book. David is a, a very faithful preacher and a quipper of, of people. So we also have a class in our church called Christianity Explored, which you can look up online too. It's a way that you can actually, you can have it in your home and you can, it's, it involves reading through the gospel of Mark in seven weeks. And um, we, did, we do this in our church and I did it last fall and there was a guy in the class and at the, and right in about the fifth class, he, we were at the cross and he said this question. I thought, this is, the, this is what the class is for. He says, I don't understand. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why didn't he just teach us how to love one another? Wouldn't that have been a better use of his life? And I said, that's the million dollar question right there. That's what, that's what you need to know. And then we shared the gospel with him. No, Jesus had to die so that we could be reconciled to God so we could have eternal life. And it was just a wonderful moment. So let's, uh, our God pursues lost people. Our God rejoices when sinners are saved and we can too. And this is our final point. God, God's good news calls for repentance. Look at verse seven. Jesus said, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Earlier it said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I remember when I was an unbeliever and I was at, I remember I'd go to like the US Open tennis tournament in New York City and there'd be a guy there who'd say, he'd hold up a sign and say, repent now. At the US Open, you know, he wore a big colored wig and I had no idea what that word meant. I had no idea. I had no idea that he, what, he was a Christian. I thought it was just a strange guy. But repentance just means turning from self-rule. It means saying, I'm not gonna make the decisions on what's right and wrong anymore. I'm gonna let God make those decisions. And the one big thing that God says is that we all need a savior. And Jesus is that savior. He's the only savior. He's the only one who can save us. We all need a savior. And we turn from our sins in repentance and trust in Jesus. That's how we receive our salvation. And in these stories, we see, we only see the searching. But if we did the next parable, we'd see repentance in action. That's the parable of the prodigal son, right? The son who chosen to reject the father's love, his home, all the good things he had for him and pursue sin. He lived a dissolute life. And he, it says when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, he realized sin didn't deliver what it promised. And what does the father do? He runs out to meet him when he comes back. And he does the same thing. He celebrates and he calls his friends together and he has a party welcoming him back. That's the heart of the father for lost people. That's what the heart of God is. When men and women and children come to understand they're sinners, they repent and they believe and they're restored to a relationship with the heavenly father. They're brought into his already but not yet kingdom. They receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment 
for that glorious inheritance that we're going to receive when he comes back and we receive the full grace of eternal life, but we receive the gift of eternal life. Our God seeks lost people so he can magnify the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he seeks lost people so his name will be lifted up among the nations. That's why he rejoices. God is one of the ones. God is the one who seeks and saves lost people. These are great mysteries. And you know, that gentleman I told you about, he didn't come to Christ. Uh, he still hasn't come to Christ, I should say. I'm praying for him still and still in touch with him. But we can't make people come to Christ, but we can be faithful to share the good news. When you know that you can't make anyone come to Christ, it actually takes the pressure off. You're not responsible to save anyone. Only God can. All we're called to do is to be faithful, brothers and sisters. That's it. And, and, and God wants us to be faithful. You know, I'm a little bit older than I was when I told you that story about Jim. I'm 60 now. And, and I, you know, I just, I, I keep, I, there are people in my life I've been sharing the gospel with from the day that I got saved. And they're still not saved. I'm still praying for them. I, pray, I got them on my prayer list. I'm praying for them. And if you ask me which one prayer you can pray for me, I just want to finish well. I just want to finish however many years the Lord gives me left well. I want to live for Jesus. I want to testify of his love. I want to make him known. I want people I know to know him. Some people get upset with me when I tell them about Jesus, but I, you know, I, because they know I think Jesus is the only way and they think that's not really very... But I, I do it with love in my heart and I want to see Jesus made known. You might be younger, but we're all going to go be, be with Jesus soon. Are there people in your life you need to share Jesus with? Let's just pray, Lord, help us to be faithful. And if you're here this morning and you, know, you just haven't given your life to Christ, you're here this morning, you've come to church, maybe you've been invited by someone here, because I know there's an invitational church, people come out. I just want to invite you. Jesus came to open the door of salvation for you but you must turn from self-rule. You can't live your life for yourself anymore. You have to live it for Jesus. You have to receive his salvation in the cross. You have to trust what he did, gives you acceptance with God, and now you can love others out of that acceptance. We love because he first loved us. And I want to invite you this morning, trust in Jesus, love Jesus, the good news calls for repentance because repentance restores lost people to the love of God the Father. So let's just close with a word of prayer and uh, ask God to, you know, this is not, oh, this is not one of those messages that you, 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 know, you, you hear it and then everything changes. It's just, it's part of discipleship. So Heavenly Father, I just pray for all of us. I pray for New City Fellowship and I pray for um, Redeeming Grace Church and I pray for all the churches in um, Fairfax and Loudoun and Manassas County, Prince William. Lord, I just pray for all the churches in Northern Virginia that you will have mercy on us as your people. You'd help us to walk humbly with you, to have your heart for lost people. And Lord, I just pray you'd help us to be faithful in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces. Lord, to be faithful, humble people who demonstrate the love of God to the hurting and the needy, and we testify to the love of God to the hurting and the needy. In Jesus' name, amen.